Hey, I'm Robert Pearson, and this is Follow the Leader. And this is going to be the first in a series I will call Blue Collar Bible Scholar. The goal is to turn you from zero, I just became a Christian yesterday and barely know what the Bible is, to I'm going to check the pastor's Greek reference in the middle of the sermon on my phone and go, yeah, all right, he pronounced it wrong, but he's using it correctly. Good deal. And then uh, go back to listening. That's, it's easier than it sounds. And uh, also always be respectful. And it's not worth mentioning to your pastor unless he's being a heretic or something. So, it's really easy to do this stuff, to find your own answers, to look in the Bible and study. And I'm a firm believer that every Christian should be able to Every Christian should find their own answers in the Bible for themselves. If it's God's word to humanity, it's also God's word to you personally. So you shouldn't go ask your pastor or ask somebody on the internet, what does the Bible say about, what do Christians think? If you are a Christian, Jesus Christ is your Savior and you're born again, you should be able to pick your Bible up and find your own answers. Now, the Bible is a powerful tool. And just like power tools, if you use it wrong, you can hurt yourself very badly. So just like power tools, there's a right way and a wrong way to use them, to, to read the Bible. Now, that's starting to sound like, oh, I'm talking about interpretations, and I don't, blah, blah, blah. It's very simple, though, and it's really common sense on how to read the Bible, is you read it with your eyes in a language that you understand. That's it. With that, it's important to know that the Bible's the divinely inspired Word of God. And, as such, it should be historically accurate, and the only accurate meta-narrative. It is the only accurate objective representation of reality, is what you see in Scripture. Everything else is wrong. Otherwise, don't be a Christian. The whole point of being a Christian, accepting Jesus as your Savior, um, the forgiveness and grace and mercy of God for your sins, to save you from sin and death, all of that, we know that because we read it in the Bible. Because we take the Bible as authority. So, if you don't believe those things about the Bible, I don't know why you're calling yourself a Christian. It's, it's between you and God. You figure it out. So, when you're at the place where this is accurate for my life, I accept Jesus has saved me from sin and death, then it's important to read the Bible. Because that's how we know any of that. All of it. So, I'll, I'll go into more detail... I'm, I'm flying over a lot of like big points that uh, should be gone into more or defended or um, clarified. Obviously, the historicity of the Bible is a dispute. Uh, different hermeneutics, as you read the Bible, that's a dispute. But that's, that's way above our pay level right now. All we're looking at is the Bible's the Word of God, so you should read it. Find it in a language that you can read. And that's, that's it, man. Everything else is going to come in time. Um, remember, if you if you come across a hard patch that doesn't make sense, 
slide past it. Don't worry about it. You have to read the Bible. Eventually, you'll come back around and go, I see what he's getting at there. Or maybe you won't, and you'll learn something else later that helps piece it in years and years down the road. Um, you, you never run out of passages that confuse you. You will always, your entire life, have a Bible verse where you're like, oh, does it really mean that? Because uh, I don't know if I like that. It's it, it, As soon as you get one figured out, you're going to read another verse and go, you know, maybe I've been understanding that one wrong. But then, and that's 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 how you wrestle with God. That's how you, you progress and, and mature as a Christian in your walk. That's all part of it. So, on the basic level, the Bible is a collection of books that were written over like 2,000-ish years. Um, yeah, uh, around, that's a thousand and a half, 2,000 years. Um, starting in about 1500 B.C., and all the way to, uh, you know, about 100 A.D. 96 A.D. is when the last book of the Bible is written. Um, if you know or care about this, all I'm using are conservative dates. Higher criticism could go take a long walk off a short pier. If you don't know what I just said, forget about it. Keep moving. So, the books are letters that were written by men who were inspired by God, and they wrote those to other men at the same time they're in. So sometimes it's a letter saying, God showed me a trippy vision. Here's what he told me to tell you. Uh, other times it's some stuff happened. You know, like Moses led some people over to a desert. They got stupid. They stayed in the desert. And then Moses died and those people go to the promised land. So see, you've got like history and they're writing it down as it's happening. It's accurate, divinely inspired. Um, it's, it's going to be historically accurate in that sense, but it's also going to be written by a guy who was there, who saw the stuff, um, who uh, it was compelled to write it down by the Holy Spirit. Um, the other things are songs. You've got wisdom literature. Hey, I've got some good advice. Uh, hey, let's sing songs about God. The, the book of Psalms is literally just an ancient Hebrew hymnal. Um, all of the songs of which are inspired. So, the... Uh, do, 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 do. Yeah, so then uh, the New Testament stuff is books and letters written by guys to uh, other Christians at that day and age to record stuff for, for other people. Or to say, hey, quit being dumb in like all of Paul's letters. So, you've got a lot of different books. They're all in one book. They're called books. they got different names. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Old Testament is all the ancient Hebrew stuff. New Testament is all the Jesus stuff. And all of those books are divided into chapters, which is just like a ah, decent-sized chunk. You know, just like you think the word chapter. Inside of those chapters, every sentence or three is divided up into a verse. All these numbers mean, these verses and chapters and stuff are not divinely inspired. They were added later just so we could keep track of things. We didn't always have Google. You couldn't just Google search, Hey, where does Jesus talk about fish? You, I don't know. I got to go read every single place that Jesus talks, and maybe he talks about fish in one of them. 
And it, if I had to go tell somebody else, I'd be like, oh, it's in the middle of Matthew. He's doing something else, and it's the one time he talks about... It's like trying to tell, remember, remind your friend of a movie. That used to be the only way you could talk to people about Scripture. And it got a little grating. So, at some point in time, uh, probably a Catholic monk somewhere, I'll, I'd have to look it up. I forget off the top of my head. But they wrote... Uh, they just divided things up into chapters and verses to make sense of it all. And to be able to keep track uh, from one person to another, to be able to tell, oh, it's in chapter such and such, verse such and such in this book. Um, you, you couldn't do that before, and now you can because of chapters and verses, and it's awesome. So that's all the numbers mean, is uh, God didn't put them there, man put them there, but they're really useful, so we've kept them there for you know, hundreds of years now. Uh, it's really handy. Because then if you want to know where Jesus talked about fish, you can just go, oh, well, it's in this chapter, this verse, it's in, you know, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, and, you know, they, you, you can communicate it very quickly, you can remember it, you can write it down uh, if you wanted to look it up later. All kinds of good stuff. So, that's all there is to it. Now read it in a language that you understand. Um, all of my Greek and Hebrew study, I've found that every translation of the Bible, it's all right. They're all about the same. They all do a pretty good job. Uh, once you understand what they do, or what they're supposed to do, and how you use it, you're, you're in like Flint. Uh, but for right now, just read it in a language you understand. Keep it in the back of your head. Know that men translated this, and so some, some of the very small details are going to be slanted towards that man's theological outlook. Once you start digging into nuance of original sin and predestination and propitiation or expiation or all the wooddation thingies, once you start being able to converse with those ideas, then you can see, oh, I got you. The author's got a slant here. Oh, well, and you move past it. Um, but until then, just keep a little thing in the back of your head that says the details may be fuzzy. Um, yeah, I might... I might not understand the exact nuance of this right. I mean, all the, all the big stuff's there. Jesus came. He's the only begotten Son of God. He is 100% a human meatbag man like me. And that's why he knows what I went through and how he can, um, you know, represent us before God and be a sacrifice for our sin. I don't know. Everything else is kind of fuzzy. But it's not like we don't know it, right? If you see a fuzzy picture of a tree, you still go, yeah, that's a tree. I just might argue about where the branches are placed or, you know, whether it's a leaf or a branch or, you know, is, is that a bird? I can't quite tell. That's the way looking at scripture over time, you'll start being able to make out those details. But just in the back of your head, know that some of the details, uh, especially on stuff like the, the, the more modern English it gets, the more those details may be bigger in the text. And so just keep that in the back of your head. Um, but I, I strongly encourage you, read something that you can read, okay? You can't handle the King James? Fine. Grab the New American Standard Bible. If that's too tough for you or you don't like it, fine. Go with the NIV, the New, uh, new International Version. Uh, if that's still a little choppy or you have trouble wrapping your brain around it, don't worry about it. Grab the New Living uh, Translation. Still hard. Go to the Message. The message is fine. Keep in the back of your head, one guy translated that. All the other translations, there's like 100 guys translating, um, you know, like 50 or 100 scholars working on it all at the same time. 
so you get a, a much better thing. The, the message, it's one guy, but he did a good job. Uh, but it's in really conversational English, the way I'm talking to you now, and it's the Bible. So just read it with that in mind. Read a whole book at once. You know, don't read little snippets out of it, but read a whole section. Read an entire book. You know, you put a bookmark in it, take breaks, come back when you need to, but, but read all of Romans or all of John or all of Mark or something. And just get in your Bible and get to know it and get used to seeing the, the big picture of it um, that God loves you. Because you find everything, all of it, it all matches, it all says the same thing. God loves you. He doesn't want you to screw your life up. You need to do what's right, but not for Him, but for you. Because it makes your life better. And that's why He sent Jesus to, uh, to save us, because He loves us. And He doesn't want even one person to perish, but He wants everybody to repent and to get their lives right. There it is. Now, that's uh, all that. Also, if you if you just still have trouble getting your brain right, get a kid's Bible and read a children's like story Bible. It's a really good way to really quickly get the, the broad narrative of Scripture kind of in your head. The main stories, the stuff everybody learned in Sunday school that you missed out on if you became a Christian late in life. Um, don't don't worry about it. Many, many a man smarter than you. Their first Bible that they read and understood and took to heart was a kid's Bible. All right? So it's some good advice. And uh, do, do, I think that's it. Oh, one, uh, one side note. There are a couple of translations to watch out for because they're specific translations written by a cult. Anything that says Watchtower, it's Jehovah's Witnesses. Stay away from it. Um, anything that says the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that's Mormons. Stay away from it. That's a cult. I'll fight you. It's a cult. Um, and then uh, another one that it's, it's on the edge. It depends on the individual congregation. But broadly, the denomination is a cult. Not really a denomination. Are the Seventh-day Adventists. And they have a thing called the Clear Word uh, Bible, which is openly like more of a study Bible, but it's very slanted to the way they view the Bible which is uh, a weird form of legalism, and they have other scriptures besides the Bible. I'll, I'll do a thing on, like, cults and the way I define it and stuff. If you just, you can't wait, look up uh, Kingdom of the Cults by a guy named Martin. It's sort of the, uh, the premier text on what is and is not a cult. This thing's the size of a phone book, though, I warn you. And there's a lot of heady stuff in there, so... You should have some of your theological ducks in a row before you start digging into it so you don't get uh, confused and so you can also get any kind of value out of it. All right, moving on. We're going to do an overview of the Bible. Um, I'm going to do just a quick overview of the Bible, what's in it, and what to expect from the different sections that are in it. And, and then we'll call it good for today because what is Bible? I know not. So here we go. We're going to just start at the beginning. I've been told it's a good place to start. The book of Genesis is the first book you're going to find, and that's the first book of the first five books called the Pentateuch, or the Law. These are traditionally written by Moses, which would have been after the Exodus. Conservative dating for the Exodus places it at, uh, like, it was at 1442 B.C.? Might be 1490. Um, it's been a while since I looked at it. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's 1442. And uh, so it's not, Ramses is not Pharaoh. I'm sorry, you're wrong, Yul Brenner. You're wrong. 
Um, so anybody who says Ramsey's a pharaoh of the Exodus, that's wrong. And that's a way late date, and it screws up the whole rest of the Bible. If you're reading the Bible like it's the Bible, uh, it places the date of the Exodus at about 1442 B.C. Moses writes the first five books of the law and the history of the world in Genesis. So Genesis is the history of the world from Adam all the way up to uh, Joseph going to Egypt and uh, being in Egypt. And then um, all of the Israelites coming to Egypt. And then after that, the books pick up where um, Genesis leaves off. And you have, um, bum, 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 bum. yeah, so you've got Moses then, who's still writing the story, but he picks up the story and continues to write uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are all kind of the same thing over and over again, but they're all the law of what God says to do when you get to the promised land, and they record the story of the people of Israel being stubborn after they get out of the uh, Exodus, wandering around in the desert, not listening, getting punished, turning around, not listening again, getting punished again, and it's just, it's, it's a cycle. So eventually they get to the promised land, and Moses dies of old age. That's the end of the Pentateuch. Um, so, we're traveling on from the Pentateuch. After that is Joshua, all the way to the book of Esther is history. Uh, some of these are letters written back and forth, but most of them are historical narrative of here's where I, where I went, here's what I did, here's a story that happened, these kind of things. Uh, Joshua is the traditional author of the book of Judges. And uh, Joshua, yeah, Joshua, Judges. Um, Ruth is up in the air. And uh, something at Samuel. You, you can look it up. You need the conservative authors. I'll, I'm going to do an overview of each book individually for just an hour talking about the history of every single book. Right now we're doing a flyover, and I'm going to keep moving. But it's history. So it takes you from the land of Egypt all the way up into one of the Babylonian captivities. The people of Israel lived in the Promised Land. They kept screwing up, kept screwing up. Eventually the Babylonians come in, and God's like, that's it. And he uses the Babylonians to basically divinely spank the entire nation of Israel and uh, cart a bunch of them off, a bunch of them die in the war, and a bunch of them get to live in poverty now in a Babylon-controlled uh, promised land. And so that's up into Esther. Uh, Esther's the uh, that One Night with the King movie that came out. Also, the king in Esther is the guy from 300, uh, Xerxes. It's the same guy in all likelihood, which is kind of, you feel bad for Esther now, worse, when you, uh, when you read that book knowing that that's that guy. So after that, we get into the wisdom literature. Uh, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, and the Song of Solomon. These are the uh, books where um, they're Solomon's writing wisdom down. He's like, hey, let me, let me shoot you straight. Or they're the Psalms where they're uh, a hymn book. A lot of those are written by King David, uh, but not all of them. Uh, do, do, do. Job is, in all likelihood, really old. Um, probably like before the flood, kind of old. Uh, but, you know, no way to know for sure. Uh, to quote a great, intelligent man, Mr. Pelfrey, my, one of my best Bible teachers, I don't know, and neither does anybody else. So a lot of this stuff is our best guess, collectively, as Christianity through the ages. Um, years and centuries and, you know, thousands of years of historians, and a lot of times it's tradition and our best guess. 
so you come down to uh, after the wisdom stuff, you've got the prophets uh, from Isaiah all the way to Malachi. And that's the end of the Old Testament then. And the prophets, if you look, they're like backdated into uh, all of the history books. Um, you, you'll see some of these names popped up in the in history books if you read like straight through. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, Lamentations is, is written by Jeremiah. Um, a lot of the other guys, they'll give you in the days of King so-and-so, and you can look back up into Kings and Chronicles and go, oh, that's where he's at. All right, cool. Uh, some of them we don't know. It's our best guess. Um, and so they're major prophets and minor prophets. just means whether it's a long book or a short book. Uh, major prophets are the really long books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. And then the minor prophets are all the short guys, Isaiah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Mike, and I'm, I'm showing off my, my Awana's uh, cred. It's been a while. Um, so anyway, we're coming back around to... Uh, that's it, right? So it's the end of the Old Testament, and God doesn't say anything from about 500-ish B.C. on into, uh, till Jesus comes, really. Uh, well, John the Baptist comes, and then Jesus comes, like, you know, a couple years after. So now we're in the New Testament. Uh, there is an intertestamental period that some of the apocryphal, apocryphal books cover it. If you're Catholic or used to be Catholic, First and Second Maccabees, you'll notice you don't find in your Bible unless it's a Catholic Bible, then they include those. And that's that's its own history. I'll get into canon and what book. We'll, we'll do more. We'll do more. Little baby steps for now. So anyway, nothing comes on until Jesus is on the scene. And now the New Testament, a lot simpler. First, three, uh, first four books are the Gospels. And the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of the Gospels, you've got three that are called synoptic, which means they're written about the same as each other. And then the fourth one is, is John. It's the non not It's just John. Um, so if you read them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of disagree on word order, on the order of events sometimes, and uh, or the exact wording of certain sermons. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff that we'll deal with that later. But suffice it to say, if you had three eyewitnesses to the same event, you would get three different accounts of that event where they were all basically the same, but sometimes word, uh, the exact wording or the sequence of events might be a little off. So that's exactly what we'd expect from eyewitnesses to the actual events of Christ's life. Um, everybody, the synoptic problem is, well, how do we deal with that? They're different and not exactly the same, but also how do we deal with the fact that they're the same? How do we how do we solve that problem? It's called the synoptic problem. You can you can uh, Google it later and go down that rabbit hole. But for right now, just there are three eyewitnesses. Of course, is going to be a little off. John, he says it in his book. He looked. Other people have done this. I'm filling in the gaps, in not so many words. That I'm I'm going to fill in the stuff everybody kind of missed or things that I feel are really important that haven't made their way into some of the other uh, attempts to do what I'm doing right now. Uh, and then he ends it with saying, you know, if you wrote down all the things that Jesus said and did, the world couldn't contain all the books. So we got to stop somewhere, guys. All right, after that, you've got Acts, which is written by Luke of the Gospel of Luke. And it's a history of after all the Gospels leave off where Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, and he shows up back to his apostles and is like, all right, guys, go tell everybody, peace, I'm out. And he flies off into the sky. Acts takes place after that. So, like, why do we have a church then? What happened? 
what's going on? And so it picks up right after Jesus flies off into the sky. He says, hey, go wait for me in Jerusalem until Pentecost, which is a feast that happens. So Jesus is uh, is sacrificed. He's uh, crucified on Passover. He's the Passover lamb. There's a lot of cool symbolism there when you when you dig into it. Um, Fifty days after that, there's the Pentecost, which is another feast. Fifty days after Passover. So on that, the they're all hanging out, and fire comes and rests on their heads, and a big wind comes to the room, and everybody starts running out into the street, preaching in all kinds of different languages that they never knew before. And now you have uh, the church. Three thousand people get saved that day, and the church starts proper. And uh, Acts carries all the way through till uh, the apostle, the infamous Paul. The apostle Paul is uh, becomes a Christian and begins his different missionary journeys. And the book kind of zeroes in on Paul after that, after a certain point, uh, simply because the author, at about that point in time, starts using we a lot. Instead of they went here and there, we went here and there. It's assumed that Luke is a companion, is, is mentioned specifically in places as a companion of Paul. And so he starts recording basically just what he knew and went and said and did. And Paul focused his ministry. So initially the church was 3,000 Jews in Jerusalem on a Jewish feast day. The church is Jewish. Salvation came first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. And so Paul is the one who really starts under the calling of God, making that push to move out from the Jewish community and into um, getting Gentiles saved as fast as possible. His, his, his M.O. was still moving to, uh, when he went to a new town, he went to the synagogue first. And he would talk to the Jews there. They'd throw him out on the street. And then he'd go preach to anybody who'd listen in town. That was, that was how he rolled. So it was still to Jews first. The church, Christianity is very Jewish. It's very Jewish. And then uh, after Acts, you've got letters that were written by Paul. And then you have letters that were written by people that aren't Paul. Uh, James, Hebrews is arguably uh, by Paul, um, but uh, uh, Peter, Jude. James is not the Apostle James. In So he was an Apostle by title, but it's not from the Gospel. If you read the Gospel, you've got James and John, the sons of Zebedee. That's not the James that wrote the book of James. The book of James is written by Jesus' brother, also named James. It's a little confusing. Um... So there's that, uh, and if you read it after reading Proverbs, you're like, holy cow, this guy's basically Proverbs. See, if you read the Old Testament and the New Testament together, they don't contrast each other. There's not the Old Testament of, oh, God's so stodgy and hates everybody, and the New Testament, Jesus is love. If you read them all the way through together, you go, oh, all the New Testament guys were Jews who knew Jewish stuff. Cool. So... um, as we go down through it, at the end of all the letters, you get to Revelation, which is arguably a letter from Jesus, written by John. Um, John is like, hey, I had this crazy vision, guys. Jesus told me to write it all down. We have the book of Revelation, which is uh, it's the, the spoiler alert section at the, at the bottom of the Bible. If the Bible is a common thread, you've got the, the spoiler blackout part that you've got to click to unhide. Um, and uh, the long and short of Revelation is... Don't get too wrapped up in the details. Don't try and use it to predict the future. Understand that we win, but that's after everything gets really terrible, and then we win. Um, that's that's all you need to know about Revelation when you read it. It's got some crazy imagery in it. Remember, don't get too serious about the details. Don't think you're going to predict the future with it. And just know that what it means is everything is going to get terrible and suck, 
and then God comes back and we win. Jesus comes back and, and saves the day. So, that's it. That's the entire Bible in a nutshell. Um, get your hands on it and read it and dig into it. And don't let anybody tell you that you need someone else to explain it to you. Um, you know, prayerfully read it. Don't read it flippantly. If things don't make sense, just take the thing that doesn't make sense, put it aside in a little box, and keep reading. It will make sense eventually. Um, you're eventually going to have enough pieces of the puzzle to put together. Right now you're digging in a box of puzzle pieces, and you don't know what you're doing. It's like trying to put a jigsaw puzzle together. You got Right now what I've done is I've given you the picture on the box, reading the message, reading a children's Bible, it's going to give you the picture on the box. And then you can go through, and all you're going to do at first is flip all the pieces right side up so you can see the colored parts and not the back. So that's what you're doing conceptually as you read the Bible, is you're just finding what pieces are useful. What's the big picture on the box? And then slowly you go, ah, I know where this goes. Oh, that's an edge. Oh, that's a cat's face, right? And you can slowly, over the course of your life, over the course of decades, slowly put a picture together. But the thing is, it's your relationship, your born-againness is between you and Jesus. And so it should be between you and your Bible. Everything else outside of that should help you, uh, but it should not be crutches. Okay, well, strike that. It should be a crutch in the idea, in the, the idea that you get off it eventually, uh, but you need it for now. Um, so beware if you have a study Bible, right, where it's got notes in the margins, like a life application Bible or a Schofield study Bible. All of the extra stuff is not inspired. It's a smart guy who's given you some helpful tools. That's it. So just think about it. Somebody who's a really smart guy who's studied this a lot, but it's not divinely inspired, so he's probably wrong. Or if I don't agree with his theological outcome, eventually, all of this background stuff he did here is probably wrong. Or the way he viewed these scriptures is wrong. Um, if, if I wind up not agreeing on some theological tenets eventually. So just keep that in the back of your head as you use a study Bible. Um, I, I happen to think Schofield's wrong about a lot of stuff. Uh, but a lot of the historical notes hasn't changed for thousands of years. Um, a lot of the times and places hasn't changed for thousands of years. Um, if anybody tells you something's been redacted, they're lying. They're an idiot. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, I'll, I'll do one on higher criticism. Um, I'll probably do the next one on higher criticism just because it's, it's kind of important. But anybody who gives you later dates, things that are more recent, anybody who says it developed over time, anybody who says multiple editors, uh, JDEP theory, um, any Q document, all of these things, all these phrasings are based around good guesses. I wouldn't even say good, but they're guesses that smart people made. There's no documentary evidence for it. There's no archaeological evidence for it. Um, there's no manuscript evidence. We have no evidence for any of that nonsense. They just assumed it's true and then used that to look at everything and say, oh, well, this is the way it really went because we know better than thousands and thousands of years of people who were actually there and looked at it and lived it and did it. And we don't use this method for any other historical manuscript on the planet, but we do it for the Christian Bible. No, no. All higher criticism is wrong and backwards. I'll, I'll do more detailed uh, deconstruction of it, but just stuff to be aware of as you're looking at commentaries and um, sermon guides and, and stuff. Is just keep that in the back of your head. If they mention stuff being redacted or edited 
or a later date or it developed over time or multiple editions or the the shorter one was the earliest because it's shorter or oral tradition so no 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 that's nonsense throw that's throw that stuff out the window um so that's all i've got uh godspeed you on your way and um feel free to reach out for questions and stuff and uh, just read your bible pray every day and you grow 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 and for those of you who didn't go to Sunday school, that was a kid's song I just quoted. And probably the wisest discipleship advice I have ever received in my life. All right. So, all that said, um, go look it up on your own. Don't trust me. You don't have to take my word for it. I'll see you next time. Godspeed.